Welcome to the Grace at a Glance podcast from Grace Church of Linnets and Grace Creative. We are a Jesus church where the gospel is central, where we love Jesus, build people, and lead revival. Thanks for joining us. series on the title of Jesus Christ where he calls himself the Son of Man. And uh, we looked last week at the truth that uh, that term, Son of Man, means human being. So of all the things that Jesus called himself, the title that he used to describe himself was human being. Now he was other things too, and he is other things, but that's a title he used to describe himself. And so when we come to Christmas season and Advent season, we're focused this year on the humanity of Jesus Christ. And I especially this morning want to talk about the body of Jesus Christ, his humanness, and what he experienced as a human being and what he came to teach us as a human being. But let's first spend a little uh, time here in Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus teaches us as a human being because of his body. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son of God also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. All right, so the author of Hebrews says that Jesus possessing a human body was important because only in that human body could he die. It was that death which destroyed the power of Satan who had the power of death over all mankind. So by Jesus Christ dying in his body, he broke us free from the chains of the devil. And it also goes on to say in the passage, right, that because he was a human being, he could empathize with us and accomplish things for us that teach us what a true human being is supposed to look like. Someday, we're going to live in eternity as human beings. We are going to be perfected, and we are going to have the same traits of Jesus. In the meantime, we are in process developing so that we become like Jesus Christ in this life too. So I, there's a million things that Jesus teaches us out of his humanity. But I just want to choose five this morning. So will you look with me at these five things that help us to understand more about our humanity and how this helps us. So five things, here we go. First, Jesus Christ teaches us in his humanity that hunger for God is better than food. Now you remember that Jesus went out into the wilderness the first, at the very first part of his ministry, he went out into the wilderness and was tempted of Satan. 
We're going to look at that passage in a minute. First, let me remind you of the Betty White commercial for Snickers. Uh, you're saying, how are these two things related? They are, believe me. You remember the commercial where a bunch of young guys are playing football out in the rain and the mud? And they're like real athletic guys, real good-looking young guys, and they're outside playing football. And then the camera cuts, and there's the wide receiver running around down the middle of the field, and it's Betty White. And uh, they throw her the ball, and she misses it. And as soon as she misses it, she gets clobbered and knocked down into the mud. And when she gets helped up, she comes back to the huddle, and the quarterback says, Mike, you got to quit it. You're playing like Betty White out there. And running in from the sidelines is somebody, and they hand her a Snickers bar. And she eats a bite of Snickers bar, and suddenly she becomes Mike, the young 20-year-old guy. And uh, the person who gives her the candy bar says, better? And yeah, better. The idea, I wish Madison Adnew hadn't stolen that, but it's the idea that Jesus talks about here that God wants us to learn from Matthew chapter 2. I want you to take a look that in his body, the Bible says Jesus was hungry. Look at this. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You ever get hungry? Sure you do. You get hungry. In fact, some of you right now are asking, how quickly can this sermon end so that I can go eat? I preached in a church uh, that had two services like this, and uh, there were a number of folks in the, in the church who uh, were members of a nursing home nearby, and at 1130... Three rows got up and went out. It didn't matter if the sermon was done. Their lunch was going to be served at 1140, and they were heading out to eat. Uh, hunger consumes us. We think about food a lot. Uh, we think about what restaurant we might eat at or the high cost of groceries right now. We think about food a lot. Food is an important part of the human experience, isn't it? And Jesus experienced hunger. But it says that as he went out and got tempted by Satan in the wilderness that the tempter came to him and said, look, I know you're hungry, but you're God. You can turn these stones into bread. And here's what Jesus answers. He says, he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that carries, that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus tells us that there's food more important than human food because the worship of God is satisfying. Snickers bars, you know what they have on the front of them, some of them? The big words in, in capital letters, satisfying. And that's what Jesus tells the tempter. That as a human being, if you know the word of God, you can survive on the word of God in ways that bring satisfaction to your life that are very different than the, if, if your attention is only on physical food. So if you are walking with God or you say that you are a Christian here's the truth about being a Christian your spirit needs to be fed your spirit needs fed in fact Jesus says that food feeds your soul the way physical food feeds your body and that you can go a long time on just spiritual food and that all of the food that God gives to you to partake in your life is the word of God. So there's a reason why we preach the Bible. There's also a reason why we encourage you to read the Bible. So if you come in on Sunday and we preach the Bible and then you go out and you go back home and you're all week long without the Bible, 
You know what you are? Spiritually starved. Now, how many of us are going to go home and wherever we're going to go at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, and we're going to eat? And then we're not going to eat again until next Sunday at 12 o'clock. Most of us probably aren't going to do that unless we're on a week fast. But for the most part, we eat every day, don't we? It's the same thing in the spiritual life. Jesus Christ came in a body to show us that a human being has to live more on more than just physical. A human being is also spiritual, and the two things are connected. Human beings are not only bodies, they're also spirits. Jesus Christ wants to learn to show us what kind of food we really need, because the worship of God is satisfying. Secondly, he teaches us that our thirst can be quenched. Here's a passage that tells us that Jesus asked for water. He's at Jacob's well in Samaria. He stops at the well. He's had a long journey. He sits there and he says um, at about noon, so it's the, the heat of the day, and a, swear, a Samaritan woman came by to draw water from the well, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? From the cross, Jesus said, I am thirsty. So he's hungry like a human being. He's thirsty like a human being. But here when he's talking to this gal at the well of Samaria, he is going to do what? He is going to tell her that while you need water for the life of your body, you need a more important water for your soul. And so he invites her to think with him about the fact that if you drink this water again, you'll be thirsty again. But if you drink of the water that he gives, you'll never be thirsty again. So that longing in your person that needs to be quenched, Jesus says he's the one who can quench it. So he uses this human experience, being thirsty, to explain a deeper spiritual truth for the human beings that he's ministering to. You spend all of your time just chasing physical things. You're going to have a soul that's dry. But if you come to Jesus and you drink of the water of life that he gives, you will not only have your thirst quenched, but here's something I really love Jesus says here. He says, not only will you have your thirst quenched, but you will become a flowing river. It will come out of your, well, out of your soul. Now, you know what Jesus is implying by that? Here's what he's saying. If your soul gets satisfied with the life of Christ, automatically you will overflow so that it's a blessing to others. Automatically. Because Jesus doesn't just give you a drink of water that satisfies your soul. Jesus gives you a river that can't be contained. And from that river that overflows, down and out of, out of that flowing river comes blessings for many things. You ever think of all the things that a river does? Think about all the things that a flowing river does. It provides shelter for, because trees grow there. It provides water for the, for the livestock. It provides water for the, for the animals. It, it, by having running water, you diminish the bacteria in it, right? We know stagnant water is a place of disease. Running water is a place of health. Jesus says he's going to give you rivers of living water. Not one multiple rivers of living water that come out of you and bless people all around you. When your soul gets quenched by the living, living water of Jesus Christ, you will overflow to help others find their thirst quenched too. So Jesus just wants you to know 
you can take this water in this life and sustain yourself for a moment, or you can drink the living water that he brings and sustain not only yourself, but who knows how many others because of what's now satisfied and satiated in your life. The life of God is satiating. It's not only satisfying, it's satiating. Thirdly, he teaches us that being tired in a storm doesn't require anxiety. You say, what in the world? Well, what are the three things that most of us experience every single day being a human being? We experience hunger, we experience thirst, and we experience tiredness, right? And this story of Jesus and his humanity is found in Matthew 8, was suddenly a furious storm. All the disciples are in their fishing boat. They're going across the lake. A storm comes up out of nowhere, which that lake is famous for, even today. And it gets fierce and extremely rough, very dangerous, and, and frankly, very frightening. They're in the boat. They're making their way across, and a storm comes on the lake. The storm was so fierce that the waves swept over the boat. The disciples, it says, were, were terrified. But I want you to see what it says Jesus was doing. But Jesus was sleeping because he knew the care of God is sufficient. He knew the food of God was satisfying, the water of God was satiating, and the care of God is sufficient. Now, this story about fishermen on a storm, in a sea on a storm, and Jesus in their boat is a story for every human being who's going through a crisis, right? That's what this story is about. When you're in the midst of a crisis and the waves seem overwhelming and you fear that you're going to sink, why is Jesus asleep? And the answer, of course, is Jesus was asleep. He had no anxiety because he was trusting in the providence and sovereignty of his Father in heaven. He knew not only that God could control and that he could access that power to control the wind, but he knew that God actually had brought them into that storm because God needed to teach them a lesson in the storm. So if you're in a storm right now, maybe you've been in a storm for weeks or months or years, here's what you need to remember. Jesus is with you if you're his follower, and he doesn't have any anxiety about the storm you're in. In fact, he had no anxiety. He was sound asleep. Now, God's not sleeping on you, but it may feel like God is quiet. And that's because if God has brought you into a storm, he wants to test you to see if you'll trust him to believe that God is sufficient for you. And that is real stuff, right? And remember that verse in Hebrews we read at the beginning? that Jesus Christ became flesh and bone and blood so that he could know what you're feeling when you go through a crisis and so that he could help you in a time of testing. So if you're here right now and you're in a time of testing, why did Jesus take on humanity? So that he could help you in this moment. So that he could remind you that you can trust God, that even the winds and the waves obey him. And with a simple word, Jesus can calm the storm in your life. Jesus is going to keep you in that storm for however long he determines. And the question that we have to ask is, am I going to trust 
that Jesus, who's here in this with me, still has all of this under control. It may feel out of control to you. It may feel like capsizing is going to happen at any moment. But one of the things Jesus came to show you, that even in his tiredness, he trusted God. And you might be weary because, like Jesus, you've had, uh, you've had something going on in your life that's a trial. And you might be weary of carrying that. And you might be weary of bearing that burden. You might be dragging you down. And you might be so tired that people even around you can look at you and say, boy, you look exhausted. The question will be, can you go to sleep like Jesus does in the middle of your storm? Because like Jesus, a human being who would have drowned, just like the disciples feared, you're so trusting that God's in control of your life that you know that you can sit back and trust him to do what's in your best interest. That's really at the heart of this story here. Jesus wants to take care of you in the storm. He's not worried. You don't need to be worried. He gets rid of anxiety because the care of God is sufficient. Now, there's a fourth thing here. He teaches us that obeying God's will is necessary. Now, if you're a Christian here today, <clears throat> you have, uh, you're here in body and hopefully in mind. But you're here in body. And your body, the Bible says, your body is an instrument that God uses to bring glory to his name. And that's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, uh, make your bodies a living sacrifice. Have you ever wondered why Christians in the Bible are so uptight about your body? Why you're not allowed as a Christian to use your body however you want? You're not. You don't have, you don't have rights over your body. If you're a Christian and you've given your body to Christ, your heart and soul and body to Christ, you no longer have right over your body. You've made yourself a living sacrifice. And, and it says there in, in chapter 12 and verse 1 of Romans to commit your body as a living sacrifice. So God is asking you to understand your human body the way God understands it. I want you to think about this for a minute because I know we live in a day and age that says you can do whatever you want to do with your body. But when the apostles commissioned their first missionaries and they sent their missionaries to faraway lands, they said to their missionaries, we don't want the Gentiles to whom you're going to to have to be burdened by the law of the Old Testament like we were, but you need to teach them to do two things. Number one, make sure that they take care of the poor. And number two, make sure that they don't fornicate. Pastor Tim, what kind of word are you using? Have you ever asked yourself the question why God is so concerned about your body? What do you mean I can't do with my body whatever I want? Because God says so. God says your body, like the body of Jesus Christ, if you're committed to Christ, is for the purpose of living a life that matters for eternity. So look at Jesus here in Luke 22, verse 44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He was going to be a human sacrifice. He was going to give his body. When we celebrate communion, what's it say? 
we give, we celebrate this blood as his body given for us, right? Now, he went to the cross and made his body a living sacrifice. That's what he decided to do because as the only God, man, he alone could provide salvation. But in a way, every Christian is invited by God to do the same thing with their bodies. Live in such a way as a living sacrifice that whatever act of service God has called you to do, you recognize is eternally significant. The Bible says Jesus could go to the cross for the joy that was set before him. Right? He could endure the moment because of what the joy was out there in the distance. God says to us, not even a cup of cold water which is given in my name to somebody who's thirsty will lose its reward. In other words, Christian, every single thing you do is being measured. Every single thing you do is being watched. Every single thing you do is being rewarded or causing you to lose rewards. Because every single thing that God has asked of you in this life is for the purpose of bringing him glory in a life of service. But I know this to be true. It is difficult to make the right decisions if you don't have some sense that your life is eternally significant to God. And that the plans that God has for you, whatever you do in life, whether you are a homemaker, you're to do it for the glory of God and serve him. Whether you're an electrician, you're to do it for God and to the glory of his name. Whether you are a a housekeeper, you're to do it for the glory of God. And that every single realm in which you serve in a life of service matters eternally. It matters for you. And it matters for the glory of God. Satan is going to make sure that you don't believe that that is true. I just drive a truck for a living. Yeah, well, you better drive that truck to the glory of God. Because in that life of service, if you've given your life to Christ, and you now have a body that has been a living sacrifice, then you better do that thing to the glory of God, and you better understand its eternal significance. It matters out there. And for the joy and hope that was before him, Jesus endured. If you don't have a sense of eternity, when push comes to shove in the pressures of life, you won't have the ability to withstand the tempter. But if you're in the word of God, if Jesus has quenched your thirst, if you know you can trust God because of Christ, then when God asks you to serve him, you willingly make that opportunity and commitment because you know your life matters. You ever see that poster? It's a picture of the whole galaxy. Then there's this arrow pointing to this little tiny pinpoint thing, right? And it says, you are here. I hate that picture. I'm going to tell you why I hate it. I hate it. I believe that it's exactly the opposite of what the world teaches you in terms of you're just one tiny speck out here in the middle. I believe that the entire thing was designed just so God could love you. And that God tells us again and again, he knows you by name. He knows the hairs of your head. He knows when you get up and when you go to bed. 
that God knows you, he loves you, everything you do matters for him, and the things that really count beyond this universe when it all gets burned up by fire is what's on the other side. And have you lived a life that's more than just going to cash a paycheck and be involved in your hobby? Have you gone to your work and have you enjoyed your hobbies for the glory of God? Because a life of service to God is significant. Your life matters. How you live your life matters. How you live your life today matters. And Jesus came to show us that. He is the example that we follow. He got up off of his throne, he became a humble servant, and he served God, and because he was the only one who can do it, he gave his life in sacrifice. But you and I have been called by Christ to follow him. And the question is, will I make myself a living sacrifice? so that my life matters to eternity. And the Bible says this, and I want you to just rest with this a minute. The Apostle Paul says, I has not seen nor ear heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And it also says this in the word of God. Don't be discouraged. God has not forgotten your deeds of service. God says every single word we speak, we're going to have to give an account for. Someone's writing it all down. Someone's writing it all down. And someday we'll give an account for all of it. And I know that you and I both want to be able to stand before the Lord, right, and hear him say, well done. Enter the joy of your reward. But you can't do that if you think this life is all there is. The biggest lie Satan tells our society is that you're here by time and chance. That's the biggest lie Satan tells you. And he's got the whole world convinced that that's how we got here, by accident. And God's word's very clear. It's a very different worldview. You're here by design. You didn't get here by time or chance. Before eternity was ever, before creation was ever started in eternity, God knew you by name, called you by name, and planned out your life. You have to decide what you believe about the, about the universe. You just, uh, somebody dropped in here with no purpose, or does Jesus tell you there's an entire purpose in your life in magnifying God is to make a difference not only now, but for eternity. Your life matters. Your life counts as a means of significance. This final thing that Jesus teaches us, that human beings overcome death. Now, Hebrews 2 says that Jesus had to take on flesh and blood, that he died a real death on Calvary's tree. His body uh, suffered. It was pierced through with a spear. Blood and water flowed out of his side. Jesus says it is finished. He bowed his head and died. When the Roman soldiers came by, they didn't break his legs because they saw he was already dead. He was taken off the tree, wrapped and buried in a real grave. He truly died, and Hebrews 2 tells us why. We looked at that. He died so that he could destroy the works of the devil, who had the power of death, and to free you of fear about dying. The death of Jesus Christ was meant to free you from the fear of death. You know, the Bible is the only book in the world that tells you for sure what happens when you die. It's the only book. It speaks authoritatively. You don't have to wonder about what's on the other side. 
If you are a person who reads the Bible, you're told. It's the only book in the whole world that tells you for sure and why. And it tells you that the reason you can be sure is because Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Now, let's take a look at this. In Luke 24, 39, Jesus shows up to his disciples after his death. And he says to them, look at my hands, look at my feet, you can see that it's really me. Now, why did he point them to his hands and feet? Because that's where he had been crucified, right? That's where the nails had gone in. So there were scars there. Take a look. This is really me. These are the scars. And then he says this to them. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies. As you see that I do. Now, this fifth and final thing that Jesus teaches us is the essence of the Christian's hope. You might be sitting here thinking when you die, you just go up and you're, you're, you're in heaven with God. No, that's not the plan. That's just a temporary step. The true plan for the Christian is that a day is coming when just like Jesus Christ came out of the dead, so also shall you. And just like Jesus Christ came out of the dead with a body, so also shall you. You are going to live in a real body for all of eternity. It'll be a different body than this one. It's not got blood, apparently. It's flesh and bone. But it looks like you, it talks like you, and it is you. Yet, you can really do some cool things with this new body. I want to do this. Show up in the middle of the room when my kids are talking. Just kind of appear in the middle of the room. That's what Jesus did. He just, there he is in the middle of the room. They're all terrified. And he says, I'm not a ghost, I'm a real person. How'd you do that? I have a different kind of body. I'm still the same person. My body functions completely differently. Hey, he's walking along the road to Emmaus with the disciples, and he's able to blind their eyes so that they don't recognize him until the right moment, and then, bang, they realize it's Jesus. How'd we miss that? Because Jesus has a body in his resurrection that looks like him, that is him, but that functions differently. Oh, pastor, you're really weirding me out right now. I don't mean to weird you out. The Christian life is a hope about a resurrected body, not about a resurrected spirit, not about somebody who floats up to heaven, plays a harp, and has angel's wings. That's not God's plan for you. God's plan for you is to resurrect you from the dead and to give you a new body that lives forever in a place that doesn't have any of the nonsense going on in this place. No more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. The joy of your work. See, I think God's going to give us plenty of work in heaven. Plenty of things to do, plenty of assignments. God has work for us, and you're going to enjoy it, and you're not going to have sore knees at the end of the day after you're done doing it. The day's coming when we will have a resurrected body. Now here's what I need you to understand if I can communicate anything in this message today. It's this. That Jesus Christ in his resurrected body was able to be resurrected because of the life that he lived. You see, Jesus not only died for your sin. He lived for your righteousness. Let me explain. 
Let's say you took out a car loan for a nice truck. Well, I don't know what kind of truck you like, but whatever it is, it's a nice truck. It's all, it's all made nice, and you love it. It's your truck. It's awesome. But you fall on hard times financially, and you still owe 10 grand on this truck that you love. And the bank comes calling because you haven't made your payments for four months in a row, and it's time for them to repossess it. And you're grieving because you have a debt to the bank that you can't pay because of life. But you have a benefactor, somebody who loves you, and they come along and they say, how much do you owe? I owe $10,000 plus whatever interest I haven't paid. And they write a check and they hand it to you and you take it down to the bank and you hand it to the banker and he says, paid in full. And you have your truck. Isn't that great? The problem is you have no gas money. So you've got a nice truck sitting in your driveway, debt free. Your debt has been forgiven. You ain't going anywhere. Nice to know that your debt's been forgiven, but you got no, no gas in the tank. But what if the same benefactor came along and he said, here's $10,000 plus interest for your truck to pay it off, and here's $100,000 to tide you over while you wait for your next job. Would that be better? Wouldn't that be better? Wouldn't that be better? <laughs> So there's a lot of Christians, they know that Jesus has wiped their sin debt clean. And that's where it stops for them. They have no idea that what Jesus did for them was to fill their tank with righteousness. Because Romans 4.25 says that he was raised for our justification. You know what that just, word justification means? It means to be declared righteous. Which means... That when God looks at you, because you've come to know Christ, praise God for the light bulbs on stage today, more people knowing Christ, that's what we want. That's what God wants worse than we want it. God gives you the righteous record of Jesus Christ and places it on your account. All because of the life Jesus lived in his body was a perfect and righteous life. He never disobeyed God. He kept all of the commandments. He did everything God asked him to do. And so when he died on the cross, God accepted his payment because it was a perfect and sinless sacrifice, sacrificial payment. Easy for me to say. It was a perfect sacrifice. And because it was perfect, God said, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead demonstrated that truth. The reason Christ could be resurrected, Paul says in Acts 17, is that God wanted to prove to mankind that Jesus was who he said he was, the Savior of the world, the Judge of the world, the one who lived righteously without sin. Now, the Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why does God make that so specific? Why doesn't God just say, believe that Jesus died for your sins and ask him to be your savior? He also says, if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. What is basically are you believing? You are believing not only that Jesus took away your debt, but that God accepts you because of the resurrected Christ and the righteousness that he has, 
which is then imparted to you. You don't need to live as a person in poverty or sin. You need to live as a resurrected child of God in the person of Jesus Christ. By faith in his resurrection, God has declared you righteous. The righteous resurrected Christ who lived righteousness, he gave that righteousness to you. And so God says, if you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead. What are you basically stating about Jesus? You do believe that his sacrifice is sufficient for you because his life was perfectly lived for you. Therefore, when God sees you and he sees Jesus, he sees the death of Jesus as having paid your sin and the resurrection of Jesus as having given you righteousness. And you need both. Jesus wants you to have both. God wants you to have both. And it was all made possible because Jesus died in a real body, as a real man, on a real tree, in a real place, on a real hill called Calvary, as a real sacrifice, as an acceptable sacrifice, and as a proven person of righteousness through his resurrection. Your faith is built upon the body of Jesus Christ. And it is that faith which makes us right with God. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. So today, let me invite you to consider. Do you recognize that Jesus as a human being can satisfy your deepest hunger? Do you recognize that as a human being, Jesus can satisfy your deepest thirst? Do you recognize as a human being that Jesus can give you rest? Do you recognize as a human being that he made the perfect sacrifice? And do you recognize as a human being that he was raised for your righteousness? You can say yes to that and have all of these things true in your life if you believe and confess and believe that Jesus is who he says he is. The baby who came in the manger became the man who lived the sinless life who became the man who died on the cross, who became the man who rose from the dead, and who became the man who says, come unto me all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Have you come to the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, today? Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the people of God and for those who are in this place to hear the word of God. And now use the word of God to make us right with you, to change the way we think about ourselves and about the life we live. And Lord, may not one person here today leave this place without having given considerable thought to who Jesus is and why he matters so much. Jesus, draw to yourself now those who are here and listening and who need you and who would cry in their heart, I believe, Lord, I'm coming to you. Now, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let me just say this. If you want to come to Jesus today, I'd like to know about that. Could you take the card that's in front of you on the bench and at some point in time where it says yes, the yes card, write on there your name that you're giving your life to Jesus and let me know by dropping it in one of the boxes later on today. Jesus, thank you now. Do your work in our life, I pray in your name. Amen.
Hosting for this podcast has been brought to you by Anchor from Spotify. Our intro and outro song is Creative Mind by Ben Sound. From all of us here at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.